Welcome to our Ecclesia study where we investigate the claims of the Bible. For many people, one of the main deterrents to accepting the teachings of Jesus is the noticeable disconnect between what Jesus taught and what many self-professed Christians say and do. As we investigate the Bible, we look into how C.I. Schofield and his reference Bible have influenced literally thousands of evangelical pastors and millions of evangelical Christians into fervently believing that the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy and should be revered and supported without question in spite of its undemocratic and inhumane treatment of both Christian and Muslim Palestinians for over 60 years of occupation. Our study leader is Mark Horton, president of Ultra Clean Corporation and a diligent student of the Bible. Our reader is We Hold These Truths faithful volunteer and dramatist Leslie Fort. Thanks for joining in our quest. In today's Christ Followers Bible Study, we're going to change gears a little bit, and we're going to be in the the book of Acts. Now, we haven't finished our study in John, but this is going to be what we're going to call the concept of divide and evangelize, and that is found in Acts, the book of Acts. We're going to start in chapter 22 and then read into 23. Chuck, why don't you explain a little bit uh, what we're going to be studying here in this part of Acts. Okay, now I'm filling in tonight for Mark Horton, and I'm using a Bible study that I happened to hear in a, in a visit to a Church of Christ in my community, and they have excellent Bible studies in the Church of Christ because laymen conduct them, and they uh, go straight out of Scripture, and they talk about nothing but Scripture. That's exactly what we do. However, I found some criticisms and some shortcomings in this lesson. I found the lesson, however, so interesting that we decided to use it since Mark can't be with us tonight. For tonight, we're in Acts 22, and this story, which we'll, we'll cover most of it in story format, uh, Paul has gone to Jerusalem. He's evangelizing. He's gone back to where he began. Uh, it's a city of Judeans. It does not have a lot of Greek influence there. The Judeans are mistermed Jews in most Bibles, but they were basically uh, citizens of Judea, and some of them practiced the ancient Israelite religion, and some of them were sort of, uh, as Baptists would say, backslidden Israelites who had forgotten all about it, and some were absolute skeptics. And uh, But all of them seemed to go to the temple. And uh, there in the temple, of course, they were all drawn back together by the concept of homogenize, get everybody to agree and get them to go along with things, and they'll all go home and say, I guess we're all Christians, or in their cases, I guess we're all Judeans, or as the Bible today misterms them, Jews, because, of course, the Jews lived today and the Judeans lived then. Now, Paul has been arrested already. He's taken to the Roman barracks. In some of the Bibles, the barracks is referred to as the castle. And there he told his story to the head of the soldiers, who was, of course, a Roman. And among the things he told the Roman was that he was also a Roman citizen, and he expected them to treat him with respect of Roman citizens. In other words, don't beat me up the way you beat up the captives of the Judeans, because I have Roman citizenship. He also told his evangelical story to them. And this happened because the captain 
had a big complaint from the synagogue about Paul, and they were going to try to get to the bottom of why he was causing so much trouble. And so they were going to scourge him. So Paul, of course, pleaded his citizenship. And then in the next story, Paul talked the leaders of the Romans into calling the leaders of the Judeans there to the barracks or to the castle where he addressed them. And so now we're going to read some of the story about how Paul dealt with the Judean leaders in the presence of the Roman legion. And so, Leslie, I'll ask you to go to verse 22 and read the last verse in it, verse 30, and then read on through verse 5 in chapter 23. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, Yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Okay, so here's Paul. He's gotten the Romans to actually assemble. And then he's called, got them to call forth the leaders of the synagogue. And they're all there. And then he makes his statement about being a good citizen and a brother of good conscience, which time the head priest can't stand it anymore, and he orders them to beat him or smack him on the mouth. And Paul responds to all this by pointing out that he follows the law, and it's the high priest who didn't. So He's now gone from being their brother to challenging the high priest openly. So now let's read on. Let's read how this proceeds on in chapter 23, read verse 6 through 11, please. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was a great uproar, And some of the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. 
As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Before you start here, I wanted my translation says something kind of interesting that was left out when the Pharisee said that we find no evil in this man, but if a great spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. There's nothing. You just took it. The let us fight against God out. Interesting. Yes, yes. I, I have that in the King James as well. So now we have an interesting thing. We have Paul completely dividing the two factions of the synagogue. And keep in mind, he's doing this right in front of all the Romans. So what are they thinking? The, you can imagine the guards standing there with their weapons. The centurion is there, the commander of the hundreds. It's a big deal among the Roman soldiers. And so Paul has the two factions fighting. Now, what do you suppose happens to all the people who are of neither faction? Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees <laughs> simply ran things, but they didn't make up the majority of the people that went to the synagogue. Uh, the majority of the people who went there, even probably among the Sanhedrin, were in some frame of ordinary folk, ordinary people who were very confused by all this, and they were being kept in their confusion by the fact that when they got together, the Pharisees and the Sadducees do just what the Democrats and the Republicans do to us. They seem to agree on minor things so that they can confuse us and keep us under control. But now all of a sudden, Paul has divided the entire congregation. And again, he's going to have to be rescued by the soldiers. Now, the point here that I notice in all of these kind of things that I want to point out early for discussion is that our churches never want division. They always insist on unity. And if anybody is, quote, divisive, end quote, they need to leave the church because there's no room in the church for division. But didn't Jesus say that he came to divide? Didn't he say, uh, henceforth, there will be in every family three, four, three and two and two and three, mothers divided against sons and and so on. He made uh, an effort to explain that the realm of Christianity was a division that had to take place in people's mind based upon those who would listen and those who would not. And so here Paul is practicing the very thing that our churches demand that we not do. We would never be allowed to stand up and divide our congregation, and yet division is exactly what Paul did here. So, Leslie, why don't you read on in chapter 23, read 12 through 15. The next morning the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. Okay, now our readers are going to go, want to go on with this story and read the whole account of what happened. But what's, uh, this, what is revealed in these verses is that, number one, uh, first of all, uh, the, the the text that Leslie was reading some referred to all of these people as Jews. Well, of course, again, for the tenth time, 
they were not really Jews. They were chief leaders of the Judeans, or particularly of the holy sect of the, that held themselves apart as Israelites. Who, they, would, they would have called themselves Israelites. They wouldn't have called themselves Jews because the word wasn't used. The reason that's so important is that we confuse these people with the Jews that we run into today. We're going to discuss some of them at the end of this program. But in this case, the leaders, these 40 people, uh, took an oath to kill Paul. They not only took an oath among themselves, but they went right to the chief leaders and asked the leaders to join the conspiracy. So now you have, now you have the chief priests and the elders are being asked to make a pretext. In other words, tell a lie to the Roman leadership to get the Romans to bring Paul back and then they're simply going to take them away from the Romans by force on the road, having as many as 40 people. In other words, they're going to have an act of terrorist killing that they're going to conduct, and everybody's going to be in on it, all of the high leaders as well as the conspirators. What I want to point out is that how powerful the idea of division is when you challenge an establishment with the truth, which is exactly what Paul did. And it was so powerful that they actually could not see themselves surviving it. They could see that Paul could bring down the entire synagogue. It, it was possible that he might bring down the whole order, the holy priesthood, all the way to the top of the temple. And so you have this conspiracy of the leadership and of the, uh, of, of the others to commit a criminal, violent act, all in the name, of course, of God. This is going on whenever you challenge leadership that is corrupted in God's house. And we're not going to read the end of the chapter, but in the story that goes on, it continues to play out in Paul's favor. The leaders of the military, the Roman military who are present, are so curious about all of this. Uh, then they discover the conspiracy because someone overhears something and comes and tells them. And uh, they decide to thwart the conspiracy. They're not going to let their prisoner be murdered in a terrorist act. And in the meantime, Paul gets to tell his entire story to all of the members of the centurions. As the story winds on, the centurions smuggle him out of town on a donkey, and they send him to Caesarea, which is the place of where the leadership of the Romans uh, are domiciled. And there's Felix, who is the Roman governor, who governs over all of the local governorships of Judea. And Paul is then sent his way, uh, and he then ends up testifying also in a story that you'll hear, his whole story, uh, to Felix. And from there he goes on to Rome, and he testifies in Rome, and one thing leads to another. Now back in where we began, somewhere where Leslie was reading, we had God appearing before Saul and telling him he was pleased with him for what he had done. And Leslie, could we find that and read that one little verse? That's verse 11. The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So God's plan goes on, but Paul had to have the fortitude himself and and, and the wisdom to do all of this. Now, in, in my Bible school lesson where this lesson was given, it, it, was, it was done very properly, except for the mistaken use of the word Jew, which is very, very common 
among all denominations, and the fact that the idea was never recognized that how important the idea of dividing the establishment was. And so our lesson to you is, of course, those of you who are used to understand us and are, are aware of us know that we have Project Straight Gate. Our purpose is to go to churches to challenge the leadership uh, at the front door in front of the congregation, not uh, to injure the leadership, but to give the congregation a chance to see that there is a reason to divide the congregation into those who are following Christ and those who are not. I want to end by reading a story, uh, just a, a, a wonderful humorous story from a friend of mine named Henry Herskovitz, who isn't Christian and doesn't think he wants to be at this point anyway, uh, but he's a very honest and devout or very honest and dedicated anti-Zionist Jew. And he has an organization in Ann Arbor, Michigan called Jewish Witness for Peace and Friends. And friends can be anybody who wants to be there, and I've been there as a friend. And it seems that in one of their many vigils in front of their local synagogue, where they're basically acting more like Paul than Christians do. They're standing in front of the synagogue, the, their, their own synagogue, most of them Jewish members, challenging the people inside with signs. One of the elders in the synagogue is named Ira Levy. And it seemed on May 22nd, Ira Levy will have to appear in front of a magistrate judge to defend himself against charges that he stole a sign from the vigilers from their car uh, a few months ago. And uh, he had become so outraged, you see, he was like the 40 who wanted to lynch uh, Paul. He'd become so outraged that he rushed out of the synagogue and noticed where one of them had their car, and he went in the back of the car and found a sign that he found very offensive to him, uh, something like the Palestinians are humans too or something like that, and he stole that sign and wouldn't give it back. And so the Henry Herskovitz and his crew could not get him arrested because the district attorney wouldn't take this small theft seriously. So they charged him in small claims court, and he's now having to appear in small claims court to defend himself for theft, common theft, and there's all kinds of witnesses, and he'll no doubt lose. But the punchline is when sort of God got into the act. And I'll read Henry's words when he recites that. And just when Ira Levy thought things couldn't get any worse, here comes Judge Greg Mathis with his invitation that Ira and, his, and this author, Henry Herskovich, square off on national television on the Judge Mathis show. That's kind of like the Judge Judy show. Senior producer Michael Hart contacted this writer via FedEx Express letter and was offered 20 to 1 odds on a dollar wager that Ira wouldn't accept the invitation. Hart demurred and later confirmed, however, that another producer received an irate phone call from Ira who was spitting mad that the judge saw fit to expose his theft on national television. Not surprising, since Zionist Jews like Ira Levy, have a lot to hide, and national exposure is not the way to hide things. So the story of Henry Herskovitz and his band who go to the synagogue to challenge the synagogue on the question of are they being fair to the Palestinians, and they do it every week. Chuck, excuse me, 
Let me just read you some of the signs. I'm looking at a picture of, of Henry Berkowitz and some of his friends. The former victims have become the vic victimizers. Is ethnic cleansing a Judaic value? Israel lobby inside. This is what they hold up in front of their synagogue. Another one, free Palestine, break the silence. In the Israeli occupation, Israel's hold on Congress must end. Ethnic supremacism, wrong in Germany, wrong in Israel. So some pretty powerful signs that would certainly cause some division. <laughs> Absolutely. So the, the bottom line, I think, is that we each need to tell, I told the people that ran this church that they had sort of missed the point. God expects them to go out and divide and evangelize. And that's the object of this story is that he didn't just expect it of Paul and ask us to sit here and clap. He expects us to actually stand up for him as Jesus did when he came to Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must you also bear witness also in Rome. So there's always another job around the corner. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Okay, well, that was a very inspiring lesson today, Chuck. Thanks for bringing that in today and discussing this. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.